Hello, and welcome to our new series, Good Questions, Real Answers with Monty Judah. I'm Kimberly from Lion and Lamb Ministries. This is Monty Judah. Monty, we've had so many questions coming in. I know we say that in the last several episodes, but they're just coming in. So we'll get started right away. Amen. Uh, Question number one, this comes from Anne, who needs clarification on two points. The first is about the 10 tribes. Are there 10 tribes of Israel? Her understanding from her reading the Bible is that God divorced the 10 tribes. The second question is about the Gentiles during the Great Tribulation. What will happen to them, and is there a safe place for them to go? She's concerned that her understanding might be wrong, and she'd like some clarification from you. All right. Well, the first question is, are there 10 tribes of Israel? The answer is yes. The Bible refers to them as the House of Israel, the Northern Kingdom. And historically, the Assyrians came in and captured them and took them captive. So a lot of authors uh, in explaining this history, not from a biblical standpoint, but just a a physical standpoint, they refer to them as the 10 lost tribes. And part of the reason why they have that term lost tribes is because of what the prophet Hosea said when he prophesied to the house of Israel. He said that when they would go into captivity, that they would lose their identity. Mm. They they wouldn't realize they're Israelites and they would become low me, not my people. And the expression uh, of where the prophets talk about being divorced, it has to do with like when you get divorced, when a woman gets divorced from a man, sometimes she'll change her name, right? you know, back to her maiden name or whatever. And essentially Israel, when they went into captivity, they lost their name they failed to understand that they were part of Israel. So what you have in the world today is we have the northern kingdom of Israel still scattered in the nations, and they're not Jews. Mm-hmm. So they don't realize they're part of Israel. They think, you know, today the stereotype is only Jews are Israel, and that's just not true. There, there's uh, these 10 tribes are part of Israel every bit as much. And by the way, the Bible talks about how they're going to be rejoined again to the house of Judah. Most famous prophecy is Ezekiel 37, where it talks about joining the two sticks, the stick of Ephraim to the stick of Judah, making them one in the hand of the Lord again. This is what we call the final redemption of Israel. It's a yet future thing to happen. But in this generation, the vast majority of Messianic believers that are coming into this movement and joining with Messianic Jews are, we believe, these Ephraimites. We believe that they're Israel spiritually returning to the Lord, which is the way the prophets said they would do, and they're returning and suddenly discovering that they're part of Israel. And the fact of the matter is the modern Messianic movement today is really, I call it an identity movement. People are coming in and suddenly realize, wait a minute, the Bible's talking about me. I'm part of this. Mm -hmm. And we see the greater Israel being a part of it. So there are 10 lost tribes. They are being, the prophecy does talk about them coming back and joining with Judah again. It's an end time restoration prophecy. The second question had to do with what's going to happen to all the Gentiles? During the Great Tribulation. During the Great Tribulation. Well, the Great Tribulation is called Jacob's Trouble or Jacob's Distress. It's referring to things God's going to do with the house of Jacob. Now, if you're a believer in the Messiah, 
you're part of the house of Jacob. Right. Uh, the Messiah is the king of Israel, you know, and it's his family. Uh, and so if you're a believer in Yeshua, you're part of that. So the question that you're really asking me then, if you use those biblical definitions, is what about the unbelievers? Yes, I believe that's in what the she's And that's, that's what she's, what happens to the Gentile unbelievers yes. in the Great Tribulation? Well, to put it bluntly, they're stored up for judgment. And, and God is coming to judge the world. Those who reject him, refuse him. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're going to be judged at the end of the ages. And would these be then those who will suffer the wrath of God? The day well, of the if Lord. they make it all the way to the day of the Lord, if they make it all the way, then they will suffer the wrath of God, the day of the Lord. I, I show a great distinction between the days of the great tribulation and God's judgments but the wrath really doesn't show up until the day of the Lord comes in the days immediately after the tribulation of those days. That's a specific event called the day of the Lord. Okay. Well, thank you. I think that would definitely clear up her understanding there. Our second question, and we've had many emails with this same question, but this one is from Aditya. And she asks, what is the mark of the beast? What should we be watching for? Okay, well, the mark of the beast is something that's described to us as taking place in Revelation chapter 13. Mm -hmm. Let me state right off the bat to begin with, this is something promoted by the false prophet. Mm -hmm. This is not something that's promoted by the beast, although I think he'll be in agreement with it, but it's really promoted by the false prophet. That's probably one of the most commonly understood end-time prophecies is this business about the mark of the beast, Everyone knows, hey, uh, you don't want to take this. If you do take it, uh, you've sealed yourself for eternal judgment. And the other is, is that, as the prophecy says, it has something to do with economic control. You cannot buy or sell without it. The world that we're in today is we use cash money, credit cards, and, and so forth. But the world is transitioning, and the global reset that we're hearing about that they're getting ready to be instituted is to move money to a digital form. Right. Instead of fiat money, cash money, you hand out coin. Mm -hmm. They want to go to an electronic form. Well, the mark of the beast prophecy speaks to something that you receive as an implant, something that pierces your skin. And then that has something to do with your ability to buy or sell. As we speak, there are many, many tests, technology tests done on that, where you can get a chip yes. and you walk in and you wave your chip and you make a purchase just like you. I've got a credit card right now mm -hmm. that you walk up and it's got a little tone thing and you just put it up mm -hmm. against yes. the thing and it senses it. And that technology to just hold your credit card to against it, it mm -hmm. to tap it, you know, it reads your credit card instead of yeah. running it through the thing. That technology is moving rapidly toward giving us the ability where you would buy or sell in this digital form. Now, if it's in digital form, guess what? The government can now institute controls where that it would prohibit you from buying or selling mm -hmm. as a result. And that's what the prophecy is really talking about. It says that there's a, this mark of the beast, not only is it showing allegiance to the anti-Messiah, but you're joined into his economic control system, and he now controls who can buy or who can sell 
you know, using that technology. So I think the mark of the beast today, the, the best shot that we have is that technology we see that's emerging, mm -hmm. going to be instituted very soon. I mean, they are talking worldwide about they're going to do this. Yes. So I would say we need to watch that very closely. And at this point, that has to be ruled out because right now that looks like that's moving toward the fulfillment of that prophecy. Yes. And some even talk about what's happening in China right now with the social credit score, where they can shut down your accounts if you come against the government or you right. say something they well, don't like or that well, kind the, of thing. The, bit, the big transition is that we've gone from a credit system, mm -hmm. your trustworthiness to repay the bill, to where that we've now instituted an ESG system yes. where you get a social score along with your credit worthiness and to where that even though you may have the ability to pay for that, they don't like your politics, they don't like your social agenda and they would exclude you from society and from the economics because they don't like your score right and if the whoever is in control of that would obviously control the masses and so should we be then keeping an eye on news about the economic news about esg and how that's going because I, there has been well, movement in this country toward yeah that. well they, we're moving toward it mm -hmm. there's no question about it However, I wouldn't be concerned about it because okay. we're not going to take the mark. True. So it's not going to have a bearing on us. Mm -hmm. And by the time that the world is into that kind of a control system, we're detached from the world. We've come out of Babylon. We're not going to be a part of that anymore. We're, we're not even going to be in our communities like that. That's, those are events in the Great Tribulation. And I believe God's plan for us is to escape the Great Tribulation survive it, but we detach ourselves from the rest of society and we follow God's plan of how he's going to deliver us. Amen. Amen to that. Okay. Our next question is from a lady named Kim, and she's looking at Jeremiah 50 verses four and five, which say, in those days and in that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel, the northern kingdom still scattered, and the people of Judah, southern kingdom, shall come together, weeping as they come, and they shall seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with faces turned toward it, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten. Her question is this. At some point, she believes, multitudes of people will return to the land of Israel and help them, quote, rebuild the cities of old, and very clearly, she says, fulfill Isaiah 60. She wants definitely to be in that group of people, uh, but she's not understanding the timing of, do we have to leave this country? If you're an American, would you have to leave America? How does that work? How will that be facilitated? She's been doing some study. <laughs> All right. Okay. So it's clearly a wonderful prophecy. It's about reunification. It's about the covenant with Israel gets turned around and straightened out correctly, and we get the people of Israel to follow the Lord. Okay, do we presently have that? No. We're still in exile, we're still separated, and the people of Israel are not trusting the God of Israel yet. Along with a whole bunch of us, we're not trusting the God of Israel very well ourselves. So it's a future thing yet to happen. The, the really positive part of it is really speaking to when we will be in the kingdom. Ah. When the Messiah returns, this is what's going to be happening. 
We will be unified. We will be following the Lord. We will be rejoicing with the Lord. So there's a part of that that Jeremiah is talking about is clear into the kingdom. But getting to that kingdom, you know, getting to, in other words, are key events that will take place at the end of the age that lead into it. If you step back for a moment, look at the modern messianic movement today. We have Jews and we have these so-called Gentiles coming in faith together, believing in the God of Israel. And we're referring back to the teaching of Moses, we're turning back to the Torah, and the covenant God made with Israel. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it's becoming a reality for us today in our faith. And oh, by the way, I would submit to you that we're at the end of the ages. Indeed. And so the steps that we're taking right now are actually the preliminary steps that lead to the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. Now, beyond that, why we would we get into the into the knit details, mm -hmm. you know, with regard to it. But the description that Jeremiah is giving is clearly something that will be accomplished as we get into the kingdom. So to answer her question, we don't need to be very concerned about trying to get to Israel right now, necessarily. No. We, we don't need to be worried about no. leaving our country at the moment. At the moment, your number one step is that you need to get your heart turned toward God yes. and start paying attention to what Moses taught. Start, start learning what Moses taught. Start understanding the covenant that God made with Israel and start identifying with that. Those are the most concrete steps that you personally can take right now toward the fulfillment of that prophecy. Awesome. Well, thank you for that explanation. Now, here is a question that connects to the things that are happening in the world today, but on a different slant a little bit. He's asking a little bit of a different question. So this question is from Robert. He's been a longtime follower and has been watching your Revelation teaching recently. He says, as he has studied it, it occurred to him that the Ezekiel 38-39 war and the Revelation war with Gog and Magog are the same millennial kingdom war. He wants to learn your opinion on whether this current action is Psalm 83 and Isaiah war, which brings about the setting up of the altar and the anti-Messiah with the Ezekiel and Revelation wars being those one and the same at the end of the millennial kingdom. So he's got a little bit of a different slant there, but he he's trying to understand how this all plays out. Okay, well, the question that he's asked, he wants me to go ahead and explain all of the prophets of Israel and the book of Revelation <laughs> at the same time. Okay, I got it. Let, let's be specific here. Let's try to answer the question with some precision. Ezekiel speaks of a Gog-Magog war involving a northern enemy that invades the mountains of Israel. Yes. And there's a specific aftermath associated with it in which God then declares the end of the exile to the nations and the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that is the Ezekiel 38, 39 war. Now let's move to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation speaks of Gog and Magog, but that's in the context of the day of the Lord. Mm. And the day of the Lord is the ultimate battle when God comes back, pours out his wrath on the whole earth, in which the whole earth is judged by fire. Yes. Now, Gog and Magog are terms used in the Bible to refer to enemies of Israel. 
Now, Israel has always had enemies. And in particular, since Israel went into the nations, was scattered into the nations, there's lots of enemies, yes. and we become known with them. And Gog and Magog is really an abstract term referring to a confederation of many enemies. When you get to Revelation, it's talking about all the enemies of Israel, which is the whole world. Oh. All right. So there is a distinction between the two, although the terminology, the abstract terminology, is used for both. Now, let me remind everybody, when it's an abstract terminology, it's not a concrete terminology. It's not a specific. It's kind of covering the waterfront, so to speak, mm -hmm. instead of specifically one thing. So in trying to correlate modern-day events that we have, for example, with the war that's going on with Gaza and the Middle East and so forth, the regional war there, that's the Ezekiel 38-39 war. Does that involve... Psalms 83? Absolutely. Psalms 83 is, is describing the enemies of Israel in which they're bloodthirsty and they love bloodshed and, yes. and they're horrible. Uh, they're barbar barbaric, you know, in, in, their, in their tactics. The, but the Ezekiel 38-39 war is a specific event before we get to the end of the age. You can't have the end of the age until God declares the end of the exile and starts to restore the whole house of Jacob. Right. Because the whole house of Jacob has been pulled back from the nations before you can have the Gog Magog Day of the Lord event. All right. So uh, one is the 38-39 has to be prior to the Great Tribulation, but the Gog Magog War of Revelation is at the conclusion after the Great Tribulation in the days immediately following the Tribulation, it says. So that's the best distinction I can give you yes. with regard to that. Now, the fascinating thing for me, and I love this part, is that now that we have Israel and Gaza and the war in the Middle East coming into focus for mm -hmm. people, all of a sudden everybody's saying, whoa, wait a minute, you know what happens to Israel probably has something to do with what's happening at the end of the age. Imagine. Praise God. <laughs> I'm glad you're finally getting it. By the way, it always was about Israel. Yes. And it will be about Israel. So Israel is the light to the nations. If you pay attention to Israel, you see what God's doing with all of mankind. Um, so I'm glad that's all taking place. But let us be clear about what God's intent is here. His intent is to make himself known to the world. Yes. It's just the same intent that he had when he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. All those judgments were poured out on Egypt so that Pharaoh might know the Lord, that Egypt might know the Lord, that Israel might know the Lord, mm -hmm. that the whole world might know the Lord. Yes. These are the same purposes that are going on at the end of the age. That's the reason why we're going to have a great tribulation. That's the reason why you're going to have all these judgments. God is trying to do everything he can to make himself known to the world so that man will stop ignoring him and take note of him and pay attention to him. Yes. And by the way, listen to what he has to say. If you want to live, this is what you will do. If you want to die, don't do anything and continue to ignore me. Right. That's the overarching message. I'm glad that God is kind of waking people up and getting them to take note of him. Yes, indeed. Soon the whole world will, I'm sure. In the end, everybody will be paying attention. Yes. Well, Robert, we pray that that answers your question and clears up for you the distinction between these two wars. 
Well, we have another question. This is from Devin, who writes to say he's heard many interpretations of what the third temple is supposed to be. A physical structure on the temple mount, Yeshua's body as the temple, and our hearts as the temple. Which, in your opinion, is correct on this matter? The one described by the scriptures. Which is? <laughs> well, you see, the speculation, uh, the other ideas, those are the ones coming from men. Yes. God really has answered this. And all we have to do is go to the scripture and say, when did God describe a temple after Herod's temple, after the second temple period, when, when the Messiah was there with the mm -hmm. temple and then the temple was destroyed? What does the Bible say about another temple? The answer is in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel's temple is described in the last, oh, four or five chapters. Mm -hmm. And Ezekiel is shown the temple yes. that will be in the kingdom that he, who is a priest, will serve at. And it's the one in which the kingdom has been established and the Messiah has returned. There is no prophecy about there's another temple that's supposed to be built before that. We have people who speculate about it. And by the way, do not be confused by the idea that the Messiah came and created the, the temple of God in us. It, it, what that's referring to is he dwells within us through yes. his spirit. Um, and yes, there are elements of the temple system that we learn that are part of us, in, in us, and so forth. Particularly Yeshua's resurrection, that he would rebuild the temple in three days, that he yes. would give us eternal life. And part of the understanding of eternal life is part of the temple system, understanding what it is. So don't be confused with that. In Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, the next temple has to be started with an altar being set up. Yes. By the way, that's the thing that God is going to use to initiate the Great Tribulation. That altar will get established, it'll have the daily sacrifice, then it gets shut down, and that's what starts the Great Trip. Will there be a sanctuary built with it? The prophecy never says so. The prophecy does say there will be a cornerstone, there will be a court of Israel, and there will be an altar. It does not say there will be anything else. Those are the two elements that must be done before a temple sanctuary can be built. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let, uh, a lot of teachers are going around, oh, well, uh, that verse about the man of the Messiah takes his seat in the holy place. Therefore, that has to be the sanctuary that's built. Not true. The entire temple mount uh, in Jerusalem mm -hmm. is called the holy place. The tabernacle, the first sanctuary, was called the holy place. But in Jerusalem, the whole Temple Mount was called the Holy Place. So if the Antipasai steps up on the Temple Mount, he has satisfied that prophecy without a sanctuary being built. So there is no requirement of the prophecy for a sanctuary to be built. There is a requirement for a cornerstone to be set, the court of Israel to be measured, and an altar to be built inside of that court of Israel. That's the only requirements. The next time you hear about a temple, is Ezekiel talking about the temple that will be in the millennial kingdom. I see. So right now it's a very popular thought, and I've seen some paperback prophecy books by some Christians suggesting that maybe the temple has to be physically be rebuilt yes. as it was in the days of Yeshua. It's just 
not correct. I mean, it would could they? Well, maybe, but is the prophecy say that? No. So let's go back to the original question. Should we be listening to the speculation of other brethren about this, or maybe should we be focusing in on what the prophecy actually says? I would suggest let's focus on what the prophecy says. Yes. And it's very specific about this point. Indeed. And I think today a lot of people get excited about the possibility of a third temple in Jerusalem where they have the Temple Institute and you can see all the elements there. And I think people a lot of times think, oh, well, we must have to build a third temple. That's why they have all the elements ready. But really, it doesn't have to be the full temple, just the cornerstone and the altar. According to the prophecy. Yes. But is there a public relations campaign to want to rebuild the temple? Yes. By the way, you have to have that before you can get a cornerstone set and an altar built. You have to have that interest for it. So that is a significant prerequisite in terms of is the day coming when we will have an altar operating on the Temple Mount? Yes, I think we will because we can see the trends mm -hmm. growing toward this. And in this generation, the generation I've been living, I remember the days when there were seven Jews in the Temple Mount Faithful and the Temple Institute hadn't even been started. I remember the days when they had the first rock they called the cornerstone. They were pouring oil on it, anointing it, trying to raise awareness to it. In the earlier days, they took a poll uh, amongst the people of Israel. Are you interested in having a temple rebuilt? And, and uh, when they first took the poll, it was only 17% of Israel that said yes. The vast majority, over 70%, said no. They took a poll not too long ago, and those numbers are reversed. More than 70% of Israel saying, yes, we would like to have a piece of the Temple Mount. We'd like to see the Temple restored mm -hmm. and rebuilt. It's only 13% saying they're opposed to it. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a major shift that's taken place in this generation, and it's in part due to the Temple Institute and their programs of mm -hmm. educating and introducing this, Temple Mount Faithful, taking the cornerstone around, building a practice altar, mm -hmm. doing explaining about the altar service and, and things like that, things that are going on in Israel has raised the attention and awareness. But the prophecies remain exactly the same throughout all of this. Yes. Well, I think it's a lot for people to think about, especially with it's, everything it's, going on right now. It's something to watch for. It, it, we continue to watch. Let's see what the aftermath of this war in Israel produces. Mm -hmm. And see where we are. See if it lines up with the prophecies. Yes. And there is the possibility, I think we've talked about this before in one of our first um, tapings of this show, that we're not sure that this is the war, this war, the action right now may not be Ezekiel well, 38. Right. At the moment, what we have is a very serious engagement with Hamas down yes. in the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip is not what Ezekiel 38, 39 is specifically talking about. But the reason why we are talking about Ezekiel 38, 39 is because it speaks of a northern enemy coming across the border, the mountains of Israel. Well, that's the West Bank where the Palestinians are at, and they're acting up along with Gaza. Yes. Gaza's trying to get Hezbollah in Lebanon to attack. They're trying to get Iran to attack. They're trying to get all of the northern armies to come down into Israel. Mm -hmm. 
So because that's happening the way it's happening at the moment, it puts us on guard. Wait a minute, we could be on the brink of seeing Ezekiel 38, 39 happen. So keep watching very closely because they're talking about the possibility of the thing breaking out into a regional war could be that quick. Yes. That's the reason why we're paying attention. So we watch and pray. But if it stays in Gaza only, no, it's not the fulfillment right. of Ezekiel 38, 39, not yet. Exactly. Well, that is all the time we have left for questions today. Please join us next time for Good Questions, Real Answers with Monty Judah. Monty, would you close us in prayer? Yeah. Father, thank you for the time that we've had together. We ask, Lord, that by the answers and questions that we've addressed, by your Holy Spirit, that you would edify and build up in, in our most holy faith. And I pray for the brethren who are watching this broadcast. May this be an encouragement to them. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.